We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about this Sunday, about Easter Sunday, about Resurrection Sunday. The world has different views and ideas. Matter of fact, many living around the world don't even celebrate this day because they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Saw a commercial this past week and Yvonne pointed it out because I kind of tune out commercials. Somebody else like that? You just don't even hear them or see them. But she pointed out that they were mentioning as they were trying to sell clothes for Easter, the fact that it was about church and family, etc., etc. You know, there are a lot of misconceptions. It reminds me of the uh, time I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma City. And uh, the bookkeeper brought a bill in to me then wondering if it was actually ours. There were several churches in Oklahoma City that had Capitol Hill in their name. So I looked it over. I didn't recognize the merchandise purchase. I didn't know the name at the bottom. I could read the first name was Christian, but I couldn't read the last name. So I said, Paula, just go call them and tell them they probably build the wrong church and get it straightened out. Her office was just down the, the hall from mine, and I could hear her on the phone. And it was a long conversation, and after a period of time, she became very exasperated. Obviously, they were giving her a hard time. And she finally said, and almost yelled it into the phone, Don't you understand? There are no Christians at Capitol Hill. (laughs) Think about that one for a moment. Don't let it be said of you. There's a lot of misconceptions about this day as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Misunderstandings of what Jesus actually did for you and me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says these words, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, and we're talking this morning about focusing on Jesus. Other versions of the scripture use the word focus, where the New King James uses the word looking unto. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. Endured the cross. I want you to remember that word. Endured the cross. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When the writer of Hebrews said he endured the cross, what exactly did he endure? Well, he endured untold suffering. He was beaten and bruised and bloodied. Thirty-nine lashes were placed upon his back. His back looked like hamburger. There was nothing left. Mutilated. He endured the pain and the suffering of the cross. He endured having his beard pulled out. He endured being slapped in the face. He endured being nailed to a piece of wood and by his hands and by his feet and hanging there until death finally occurred. He endured the sufferings of the cross. My words fail me. I can't begin to communicate how horrible the suffering of the cross really was. He also endured the loneliness of the cross. Think about it. His friends that had followed him for three and a half years turned their backs and walked away. Those that he loved and cared about had invested in turned their backs and walked away. And we know that even on the cross, he said these words to the Father, why hast thou forsaken me. He endured the loneliness of the cross. He endured the shame of the cross. 
Consider the fact that the cross was used as an instrument of execution for common criminals in the Roman world. The Son of the living God, the one who never committed a sin, who never crossed the line, who never came close to needing forgiveness, was crucified as a common criminal. He was nailed on a tree and hung for everyone to see. Imagine the shame of the cross that he endured. Imagine the horror of the cross that he endured. That the sin of the entire world, yours and mine included, non-exempted, was laid on his shoulders that day. Imagine the horror of the cross. So when I read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it injects into my thinking something that is very contradictory. Because it says, He endured the horror, the pain, the shame, the suffering, the loneliness of the cross for the joy set before Him. What a contradiction. He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. And I want us to think about that phrase this morning. Where could there possibly be joy in the cross of Jesus Christ? How could we possibly see anything positive coming from that experience? The cross was a place of agony. The cross was a place of loneliness and shame. The cross was a place of absolute abandonment of Jesus by everyone who knew Him and loved Him. But the cross brought joy to His life. It brought joy to His life because the cross made forgiveness possible. The cross made reconciliation real. The cross made the hope of eternal life not something we just pine for, but something we possess. You see, there is joy in the cross. It makes forgiveness real, hope certain, heaven delivered to you and me. His death on the cross was real. It's a historical fact. It's known to be true. So why did Jesus choose to endure the cross? Let's talk about the fact that he did it so that he could endure, so that he could rejoice in the joy of making God known. John chapter 17, verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. The word glorify can also be translated or interpreted to mean to make known. Jesus came and endured the cross to make known the true nature and character of the heavenly Father. Jesus came to make known the grace, the mercy, the love of God Almighty. Jesus came and endured the shame, the pain, the humiliation, the loneliness, the horror of the cross to make known how much God loves you and me. He came to make known a truth that had previously not been revealed by his death on the cross. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says it this way, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, listen to it, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to reveal the nature and the character of God, to show us that He is a God who brings grace and mercy and love and truth into our lives on a daily basis. He wanted to reveal once and for all that love and grace are at the heart of God. He wanted to dispel the lie of the enemy that he had told for, to people for generations. Do you understand that the devil always misrepresents who God really is? And when Jesus came, 
He came to show who God really is, to make Him known to those in the world. So many, some even in this room, have a misrepresentation of God in your mind. They say, well, you know, God let my spouse or my child or my parent die. He must not be a loving God. They say, well, God let me have cancer and it's been a horrible battle. He must not be a loving God. They say, well, God let my business fail. He must not be a loving God. Well, God let my spouse walk away and find another. He must not be a loving God. Can I tell you, it's time we stopped attributing the works of the enemy to the God Most High. None of those things lay at the feet of God. Jesus came to reveal the grace, the mercy, and the love of our Heavenly Father. Please understand this morning, God isn't sitting in heaven with a big stick just waiting to bop you over the head the minute you step out of line. You can go down to Chuck E. Cheese and play that game, but that's not the game God plays. God is sitting there, having sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to make known His nature, His character, and His purposes. To make known how wonderful and great He really is. Matter of fact, you can read it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, where the Word says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to undo everything that Satan has done. Oh, he took joy in the cross because he could look forward. He can look down to April 16th in 2017. He can see you and I and hundreds of thousands and millions around the world sitting in worship centers to exalt him and to magnify him and to come to the recognition that he loves us. He cares for us. He died to redeem us. He died to save us. He died to take us from death to life. Somebody ought to be happy about right now. Somebody ought to be giving him thanksgiving and praise. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What did it say in John 3.17? You all know John 3.16, so I'm not going to quote it. But how about the verse after? Do you know it? It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That scripture tells you, God isn't waiting to pronounce judgment on you. He's waiting to shower you with grace and with mercy and with love. He's waiting to open the gates of forgiveness and say, you can't go too far. You haven't ran too fast. I still love you. I still care about you. And I'm calling you home. He's asking you to come back to him by his death on the cross. Jesus refutes every lie of the enemy. He came to glorify God, to make God known among people today. And he introduces him as the God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Number two, Jesus endured the cross to experience the joy of highest personal achievement. He did the greatest thing anyone could ever do as a human For the human race. Think about it. John chapter 15 verses 11 through 14 say these things. This is Jesus speaking. These things have I spoken to you. That my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends. He came to experience the joy of the highest personal achievement. 
giving his life for millions to come after him. Giving his life as a sacrifice, as an offering, as the penalty and the punishment for my sin and for yours. Oh, the gospel is really simple, my friend. It's not hard and it's not complicated. It's not a list of rules and regulations, but it's that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son who was sinless and lived a sinless life. He died on a cross to bear the punishment and the pain and the penalty for your sin. And on the third day, somebody shouted out, He rose again from the dead. Oh, I'm glad this morning we aren't worshiping in a graveyard. We aren't worshiping in a cemetery. We aren't worshiping at some man-made sepulchral tomb. But today, we serve a risen Savior who has accomplished the most significant personal achievement ever known in the history of mankind. Someone said, could Jesus have escaped the cross? Matter of fact, there is thinking now among leftist theologists that says that the cross really wasn't necessary. God could have forgiven us and brought us back without the cross. So it begs the question, was the cross really necessary? Could Jesus have avoided the cross? Do you realize the scripture actually answers that? You can find it in Matthew chapter 4, in verses 8 through 11, where Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all you have to do To have everything in this world is fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, we worship God and God alone. We're not going to do that. You see, what Satan was saying is, I've got a shortcut for you. I've got an easy way out. There is a convenient way to get the world back. I'll give it to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to endure the pain, the suffering, the loneliness, the humiliation. You don't have to go through any of that. I'll give you the world. All you have to do is worship me. Listen, friend, there's an illustration in that that we need to apply to our lives. There is no shortcut in the kingdom of God. You can't shortcut what God has done for you. When Yvonne and I first moved down here, we went, we're on, a, on our way down towards Orlando for meetings. And we plugged this thing in the GPS, you know, the address. We're actually going to Lake Mary, which was on the northeast side of Orlando. And we told it to give us the shortest route. We wanted the shortest route. So as we pulled off at Ocala, and it takes us down these two-lane roads through orange groves, we drove forever and a day before we finally got there. Shortcuts aren't always the best way. They're not always the best way. We were frustrated. We were tired. We're never going to get there. Stop looking for a shortcut. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that's through the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, by asking Him to be your Lord and Savior, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life. Oh, listen, religion is not a shortcut. It's bondage. You need to understand, coming to church is not a shortcut. It's bondage. Now, I'm not telling you not to come to church. I just realized what that sounded like. Do you know the pastor at Christian Heritage told us on Easter Sunday that coming to church was bondage, so we're never going again. You just wipe that out, roll the tape backwards, take it out. I know none of you ever said anything kind of silly, did you? I am always an audience of one. There are no shortcuts into the kingdom of God. You see, you can't be good enough to shortcut the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
You can't be righteous enough to avoid needing his shed blood over your life. The only way into the kingdom and the only way to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts. Jesus rejected the suggestion of Satan. And he endured the cross. Why? Because there was no other way to reach you and me. He endured the cross and experienced the joy because there was no other way. You see, apart from the cross, there's no resurrection. Apart from the cross, there is no demonstration of eternal life. Do you understand what I mean by that? Jesus died and rose again, and now he lives forever. He is a demonstration of eternal life. When someone tells you when you die, they throw you in a grave, you lie six feet under, and that's the end. No, you need to come back and read it one more time. He has demonstrated eternal life for you and me. And there's no eternal life, no demonstration of eternal life without the cross. Without the cross, there is no message of redemption. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there is no hope for you and I as men and women. Jesus' first recorded words in the New Testament were, I must be about my Father's business. His words from the cross were, it is finished. What was finished? His Father's business. His mission, His purpose, His reason for coming to show you and I that God is a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He stands with His arms open wide saying, come on home. Come back to the Father. When Jesus said it is finished at the cross, it wasn't the last gasp of a defeated idealist. But it was a shout of triumph. It was a declaration that echoes through the ages. He wasn't just giving up. He was saying, I've done what I came to do. It is finished. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit this morning. It's time you looked at your problem. It's time you looked at your adversary. It's time you looked at the issues surrounding you and declare the words of Jesus. It is finished. I'm done with this mess. There is new life and new hope coming through Jesus Christ. And it's coming to you today if you accept what he's done for you. And number three, I want you to understand he endured the shame of the cross. To experience the joy of rescuing you and me. The joy of rescuing you and me. Jesus endured the cross so that he got the experience of knowing you and I as born again believers who are now given power to become sons of the living God. You see, Jesus endured the cross because he knew what Paul wrote years later in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. You know, folks, it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Whether you're educated or whether you're illiterate. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or brown or purple. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. You know, we think about the cross and we always think of Judas, don't we? How he betrayed our Lord and sold him for a few pieces of silver. Listen to me. There's some Judas in every one of us. There's some Judas in every one of us. Think about that for just a moment. People say, well, Judas betrayed him because he was greedy. Or he betrayed him because he had a revolutionary aspiration. 
Or he betrayed him because he wanted a political savior. When Jesus didn't meet his expectations, he went AWOL. He turned his back and walked away and sold him out. But when God doesn't meet our expectations, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we act? We're tempted too to betray what we know and what we believe when God doesn't meet our expectations. When my will supersedes his will, I'm betraying him. We need to understand that. When fear of people erode the fear of God, I'm betraying him. There's a Judas in me. When selfish ambition overpower godly ambition, I'm betraying Jesus Christ. You see, sinful desires often shortcut or short-circuit godly passions. The Scripture makes it very clear every one of us need a Savior. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and none of us can save ourselves. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, While we were yet sinners, God showed His love to us. Oh, I love that Scripture, friend. I say it every day. I want it to be a part of my DNA. God commended this love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may have come into this room this morning not realizing that you needed a Savior. Or maybe, maybe you came this morning. Or maybe you're watching online this morning because it's Easter and it's the thing to do. Oh, I've come to tell you this morning, we are here because every one of us need a Savior. None of us can save ourselves. And God in His wisdom and His foreknowledge looked down the road to this date in the history of humanity. And He said, in that room at Christian Heritage, there will be people sitting who need to know my Son. And need to accept Him as their Lord and as their Savior. God commendeth. God showed His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we were slaves. He came to set us free. We were guilty, and He accepted our sentence and our punishment. We were helpless, and He came to rescue us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and He came to bring us to life. Jesus died for our sins. He makes forgiveness possible. He gives new life, eternal life, forever life in Him. Oh, listen. He didn't just throw a lifeline down from heaven to pull us out of troubled waters. He became the lifeline. He came down from heaven and became a man just like you and me and experienced the same things we experienced so that He could offer to us eternal salvation and eternal life. He endured the shame, the humiliation, the pain of the cross for the joy of rendering the highest possible service that you and I need. And that service is the forgiveness of our sins, the transformation of our lives, the joy set before Him. It wasn't a joy that day. He was looking down the road. He was looking 50 days down the road to where the early church gathered and were worshiping Him. And Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach. And as he preached, thousands came to know Him as Lord and Savior. He was looking down the road to a gang of washouts, beat-ups, dropouts, deadbeats, who he filled with the power of the Spirit of God. And they took the message that we proclaim around the known world. And every one of those individuals 
died a martyr's death, with the exception of John the Revelator, because of the message they chose to preach. Someone said, is Jesus' death on the cross in vain? Well, if you've rejected him, it is. It's of no count. It's null and void. Because the only way the power of the cross becomes effective in your life and in mine is by admitting I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need someone to come and rescue me, redeem me. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The joy of making the Father known, a Father of grace and mercy and love. The joy of achieving the highest personal satisfaction, dying for you and I. The joy, the joy of rescuing you and me. Would you stand with your feet, uh, with me across, across this room? Tom, I just want you to sing that chorus. What a beautiful name. Just very softly behind me, if you would, please. That is such a beautiful song. It says, He has no equal. He has no rival. There is no one like Jesus Christ. None that compares to Him. There is no one who's died to give you life except Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as they begin to sing very softly. What a beautiful name it is. You're in this room this morning and if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't said, I'm a sinner, I need you to forgive me of my sins and come to my life, then His death is in vain for you because you've rejected Him. This is your opportunity. This is your day to receive the Savior, the sacrifice that Jesus made to let Him come into your heart and into your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've turned your back and you've walked away because your conception of God was really a misconception. Because God didn't measure up to your expectations and you said, He's not for real. I've come to tell you this morning, you need to stop attributing the works of the enemy to God. The God I present to you today is a God of love and mercy and grace. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God that wants to rescue you from where you're at today and give you peace and hope and life eternal. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. You're going to raise your hand in just a moment. And you're going to say, Pastor, pray for me because I need to be forgiven. I need to be restored. I need to come back into relationship with my Father through Jesus Christ. I need to know His death was not in vain that He died for me. In just a moment, you're going to be one of those many who raise your hand. And by doing so, you're expressing your faith in a living God and in a risen Savior, a God of love and mercy and grace. Oh, this is the greatest moment of your entire life. You've been living for this day, and you just didn't know it. But today, Jesus came to tell you, you're worth it. You're worth the pain. You're worth the suffering. You're worth the loneliness. You're worth the shame. You're worth it. 
And he's asking you to open your hearts and let him come inside. So right now, that's you across this room and up in the risers. I want Jesus to forgive me, to come back into my life. I want to be right with him. Slip up your hand right now. Across this room this morning, just lift it and hold it there. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Others, come on, slip it up so I can see them. Hold them high enough. Yes, across the room. Dozens and dozens of hands. Others, come on. God's talking to you. This is your time. Put that hand up and hold it right there. Put that hand up and say, God, take me back. God, forgive me. I need you in my heart and in my life. Anyone else, you'll join these many who've raised their hands and said, that's me. That's me. That's me. Anyone else? Another moment as I wait. Now, from every corner of this room, every one of you who raised your hands, lift your heads and look at me. Nobody else is looking around. Only those of you with a hand raised. Lift your head and look directly at me. Do you understand that Jesus Christ died publicly? He was beaten and bruised and stripped and hung on a cross. He was humiliated and shamed for your sin and for mine. And all he's asking you to do today is confess him before men. Confess him. So if your hand is raised, be a man, be a woman, and right now step out and come and meet me right here in this altar. Come on. Don't wait for anybody else. You come this morning. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.